Life isn't easy. In fact, it can be very difficult and our careers can be difficult and our relationships can be difficult and all those things blend together and that makes life difficult. But in any circumstance and in any situation, there is always a way to show up that makes things easier. Not easy, but easier. Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast. I'm your host, Michael McKinney. My guest today is Chris Westfall. As a coach, Chris has helped launch over five dozen businesses, helping to raise over $100 million in investment capital. His clients have appeared on Shark Tank, Dragon's Den in Canada, and Shark Tank Australia. Chris is the champion of the U.S. National Elevator Pitch, a competition challenging students to make a convincing and engaging elevator pitch to an angel investor. He is recognized as a top 10 business coach and regularly works with Fortune 500 companies and high-impact leaders. He's also a keynote speaker and author of four books. His latest is Easier, 60 Ways to Make Your Work Life Work for You. Through a conversation between a coach and his client, he tells us how to productively look at the circumstances we are in, what makes us who we are, how to deal with difficult people, and find ways to be easier on ourselves, no matter what we are up against. Today, we'll look at some of those 60 ways to make life easier and learn how to serve ourselves and others better. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to going through some of those 60 ways to make life easier. Before we begin, I, Chris, I want to ask you about something I recently learned about you. You weren't always a business coach. You were once a stuntman, which any movie buff like myself is very cool. What made you give up that glamorous life for business? <laughs> Well, I wanted something that was a little safer and a little less risky. <laughs> but you know what? What's funny, ever since working as a professional stuntman, I, I still do all of my own stunts, Michael. So <laughs> it's it's something that I brought with me. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting story. I, being a stuntman wasn't something that was deliberate or something that uh, I was advised to do by my high school guidance counselors, you can imagine. <laughs> but uh, it was something that crossed my path uh, when, when I was younger. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, she's now my wife, uh, was working in a stunt show at an amusement park uh, here in Texas. And uh one of the performers in the stunt show wasn't able to go on and they asked me to uh, step in. And wow. I was, I was actually a, a, an understudy uh, for the show and uh, which meant I just watched the show a lot and uh, tried to take good notes and said my prayers every night, hoping <laughs> that I never had to go in. Wow. Because <laughs> it was, it was an enormous stage. I mean, the stage was so large, you could drive vehicles and motorcycles on it. Uh, 3000 people in the audience. It was an wow. amazing experience. And, and one day I got the call, a friend of mine was out boating over the weekend, a guy who's in the show, and he uh, cut his leg and he had to have stitches. And there was no way that he could perform. And so he said, I need you to meet me uh, at the amusement park um, as soon as you can get there. And we're going to go through the show and show you all the different stunts that you're going to be doing. And so I, I slid down a 40 foot fireman's pole. I jumped off into um, into, you know, a pit, uh, like take, took a took a fall into a pit, uh, did a bunch of fake fighting and stuff like that and learned a lot about risks and how to uh, stay safe. And also, I think probably the greatest takeaway from it was how to how to think on my feet, huh. because, you know, you can you can rehearse something, you can be told what something is going to be like, 
but you never really know until you actually get there until the music starts and the audience is there and it's time to perform. And, and in that way, it's really, it's really a lot like leadership. You right, right. never know what it's like until you actually do it. Well, yes. And those lessons have obviously played a part in your career. Now, Chris, you entered a national elevator pitch competition and you ended up winning it. I think elevator pitches are important because they introduce the value that, that I or we add in a concise way. How did that come about? What was it about your pitch that made it successful? It came about via Twitter, if you can believe it. And that, and that may sound strange because I have a lot of, I have a lot of noise in my Twitter feed like everybody, but I happened to see a tweet a tweet introducing this contest, this online contest for to see who has the best elevator pitch in the United States. And so I thought, well, this is interesting. And I was working as a coach with clients on their elevator pitch, how to communicate more effectively. And I said, you know what? I'll I'll just put in my, I'll throw my hat into the ring and see what, what this is all about. And so I had to record a video. Uh, and for this elevator pitch contest, the construct was your pitch had to be 118 seconds long. So just under two minutes. And uh, because 118 seconds is the average length of an elevator ride in New oh, York City, really in New York City, and this is and and the average time from the from the moment that you press the button, the elevator doors open, you step in, you take the ride. It's 118 seconds. So that was uh, what I did. I went out on my front porch. It was very glamorous, and I recorded a video, and it was exactly 118 seconds long. And I submitted into the contest. But but get this. So I, I had to raise votes on social media. In the voting, I came in second place, huh. second place. An entrepreneur in Atlanta actually won. She got the most votes. And I thought, well, this is, I'm glad that I played. I'm glad I participated. I'm glad that I put it out there. And then my phone rang. And it was uh, someone who later became a great friend and mentor to me to this day. Someone by the name of Jeffrey Hazlett. And he had, oh, yeah. created the, he had created the contest and he had pulled together a team of experts to evaluate all the different pitches and he said, listen, second place in the voting, but first place with us. Wow. So they did like kind of an American Idol sort of thing. And they, they flipped the script and they said, you are the national elevator pitch champion. And that was the moment when everything changed. That was the moment when uh, the phone calls started coming in and the emails started coming in from companies like HP and Cisco and just various different companies that said, you know, you've got to help us. And then that was when the, the entrepreneurs started finding me. And I, I got a phone call one day, and yes, I still answer my phone. A little bit old school in that regard. I still answer my phone. Someone called me and said, uh, Chris, we need your help. And I didn't recognize the area code. And the voice on the other end of the phone said, Chris, we need your help. Uh, we're trying to get on a television show called Dragon's Den. And I said, I've never, I've never heard of a television show called Dragon's Den. What is Dragon's Den? And, and a guy says, well, of course you've never heard of Dragon's Den. That's because you're in America. Dragon's Den is a television show here in Canada. In the US, you call it Shark Tank. Uh -huh. And I said, tell me more. And this guy said, we are certain, my partner and I, we are certain uh, that you can help us to get on this television show. And uh, he seemed very sure of himself. I was not. I was very suspicious and doubtful. I was like, how do you know that I can do this? But he said, we want to hire you. And so this is how my coaching career began, really? was helping wow. 
these folks to land on Dragon's Den and they went on Dragon's Den. They didn't get funded, uh, but they did go on the show and they had a very successful experience. So from there, I've gone on to coach clients onto Shark Tank, uh, Dragon's Den, Australia. Uh, excuse me, I said Dragons in Australia. They call it Shark Tank in Australia. But I've, yeah, I've had clients appear on on those shows. And and so that really was what helped me to recognize the power inside of the coaching conversation, a power that I didn't even really, quite frankly, I didn't know that I I possessed. Right. But I said, you know, it, I, I want to step into this place of service. I want to use my experience to be a benefit to others, which which to me looks like a, an expression of leadership. And so that was that was where I headed. And that's that's been the basis and the platform for my career for many years now. Wow. I always think it is amazing how these things work out like that. A circuitous path, not linear, but not really by chance either. Okay, Shark Tank. How do you prepare the people for Shark Tank? Maybe you can pull the curtain back a little. How do you prepare them? I guess it relates to the pitch. It does. And and I provide not just coaching and guidance around their pitch, but also on how to handle Q&A. Like, for example, for my client that was just on uh, Shark Tank Season 12, what I did was I put together a panel of sharks. Now, of course, it wasn't the sharks in the show, but I I had people, friends of mine, come in and be the sharks. And I did not tell them anything about my client, didn't tell them. So they were coming into the conversation blind, blank slate, and then they asked their questions and they asked their questions as Mark Cuban would ask, as Mr. Wonderful would ask, you know, so they, they played their roles, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it was this experience in Q&A that allowed my client to go on and, and get a deal from Barbara Corcoran, uh, which came which came through in the Q&A. And she really, I, I mean, listen, she lit him up, Michael. She came after him. And on the show, Damon John said, you know, Barbara asked a question. Uh, Do you mind if I ask a question? And, and my client said on the show, well, of course, you know, I, I can't imagine that there'd be anything wrong with you asking a question. And the camera cuts to Damon John and he's like, oh, you have no idea. <laughs> and sure enough, he was right. And so they went into the deep water and Barbara had some real questions about the debt structure of the company and everything. Well, get this. We had been down this road before. And so through our preparation and and I had shared with my client, this is going to be a sticking place. They're going to come after you on this issue. Be ready. And one of the things that I coach my my clients on, um, and it's an, it's a vital aspect of leadership, and that is authenticity. I said, listen, you, you got to come at this with the truth. Do not try to sugarcoat your debt. Do not try to uh, spin this. Tell them simply and in a straightforward way why the debt is there and how you plan to address it going forward. This is what he did on the show. And he ended up getting a deal. And Barbara Corcoran went into uh, a, a joint uh, joint investment with uh, Robert Herchevich, and they invested in, in my client's business. And it's been a tremendous success for him ever since. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, I was thinking about your book easier and yeah. it's a... Um... It's kind of a perspective-changing fable, and mm-hmm. it seems like your background is well-suited for what you were trying to do with this client, the coach-client relationship that you talk about in the book. It seems like there's a lot of you and maybe some of your experiences behind all that. Very true. Yeah, it, it is. It's a, it's a combination, or I guess what they would say, the fancy word is an amalgam <laughs> of experiences. Uh, it's a combination of 
events that have happened to me, events that I've been a part of, uh, coaching conversations that I've created for my clients, conversations that I have had with my coaches. Mm -hmm. So in inside these these various experiences, I wanted to find a format that would allow people to, to access these experiences, not in a way that was preachy or teachy, but in a way that, that people could observe what's going on. And, and what they observe in this book is, is not only a conversation between a client and a coach, but also how people go through some incredibly difficult circumstances. Because if you're going to write a book called Easier, you need, I mean, you know, you need to set up uh, the premise very clearly. And the premise is this life isn't easy. In fact, it can be very difficult and our careers can be difficult and our relationships can be difficult and all those things blend together. And that makes life difficult. But in any circumstance and in any situation, there is always a way to show up that makes things easier, not easy, but easier. And this is a book about stepping into, as you said, that perspective and, and helping people to see that those choices exist, not in a way that's that's scolding or instructional, but in a way that's observational. So so this is a book that uh, you you when you read it, you you take your own journey and you draw from it what it is that you need to see in the story of of the client and the coach. Because the client, I mean, the client comes to the coach and he's frustrated with his career. He's not making the impact that he wants. He he wants to maybe find a new job, maybe start his own business. He's not sure. That's why he hires the coach. Little does he know he's about to be fired in just five days. <laughs> and so from this, from this singular event comes a life after career death story <laughs> where, where the client thinks my wife's going to leave me. I'm, you know, how am I going to keep my kids in school? And da, 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 da. I mean, he's, he's got just a, a, a massive amount of, of thinking and fears and challenges and things like that. And from the conversation with the coach, he turns his frustrations and fears into transformation. And it's, it's not a book with a tidy Hollywood ending by any means, because, because life isn't tidy. Life's, life's messy. And I want to make sure that this that we stay real here. I don't I don't want this to I don't want people to read this book and go, boy, this is full of motivational mumbo jumbo. Right, right. I, I needed it to be to be more than that. And uh I've read those books that are, you know, and they, hey, there's nothing wrong with trying to inspire and, and giving people a slice of positivity. But what I wanted to strive for was uh from from beginning to end was a slice of authenticity, something that people would read and say, this feels real. Um, I can imagine what these people are going through and and via the way that they process grief, loss, relationships, see something new for themselves in the story. Well, I, th- I think it's something everyone can connect with. I mean, because life can be hard. Relationships can be hard. Leadership is hard. And sometimes we get stuck in situations or in relationships that are just well, plain hard. And there seems like there's no way out. And what you're saying is that no matter what, is going on, there is a way to make it easier. And I think that distinction too, between easier and easy est is, is important, but you're saying no matter what our situation is that we're in, we can, there, there is a, a better way. And it's, it's easy to see right now. Like if, like if I were to ask you right now, how many possibilities exist inside of this conversation? We'd quickly say the possibilities are endless. I mean, we could talk about uh, we could talk about iced tea. We could talk about avocados. We could talk about uh, Taylor Swift. We can talk about anything, right? No, I'm not saying that all of that would be useful, but we can talk about anything because all of those possibilities exist. But mm-hmm. when life gets difficult, 
it looks exactly the way that you've described it. There's only one way out of this. There's only one way forward. There's only one possibility here. It and kind of closes in on us. Life kind of closes in and we don't think. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I've been there. I, and that's and that's exactly what difficulty looks like. I mean, it looks like like life becomes a hallway and there's only one door and you have to go through that door. But there there are a couple of things that we can do if if we're in that place. And as leaders, I think life calls on us to look look again. The first thing we can do is zoom out because other possibilities always exist. It's it's easy to see because we're you know calm and relaxed right now. But when life gets difficult, that that like you say, it it you know we we get. It looks like the world, we're looking at it through a porthole or a hallway, but can we zoom out? Can we step back? You know, John Wooden, the former UCLA basketball coach, he famously said, make each day your masterpiece. And the only way that you can do that is you got to step back from the canvas and see what it is that's really going on. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that we can do is, is zoom out and find some space. Second thing that we can do is to recognize that we don't have to go it alone. It looks like there's only one way forward and it's all on your shoulders, that the weight of the world is on your shoulders. As a leader, part of leadership is finding the resources that you need. And maybe that means finding a coach. Maybe that means finding someone who can help you to lift that burden that that feels too heavy, to see that life is not just a hallway or a one-way street, that other possibilities exist. That's what makes things easier. Yeah, I remember in your book, you uh, the coach told him that I'm always better when uh, I have someone else in my corner. And uh, sometimes we need that other person to help us get through it or figure it out or to see possibilities. Because like you say, you know, we've got this tunnel vision hallway thing and we don't see that there's another way to, to go about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You know, the book begins <laughs> with a line that says the coach is telling him, he says, I need you to be lazy. Now that seems a bit counterintuitive, especially to anyone in leadership or with any kind of ambition. And it, cause it seems like I really need to be doing the opposite. So what, what did the, what did the coach mean by that to say, I need you to be lazy. The book opens with a coaching mistake. The coach begins with a prescription and, and that prescription to be lazy is so counterintuitive and crazy that the client actually ends up storming out of the conversation because it's, it's, it, it seems so preposterous. Yeah. And especially in this go, go, go world that we live in, we, we don't have time to be lazy, but the coach is able to resurrect the conversation because the client left his cell phone in the house and the client comes back in to get it. And they start talking again and the coach explains what he means. And he says, be actively lazy. Actively lazy means being lazy like a Sunday afternoon. And if you think about it, on a Sunday afternoon, which is a time to be lazy, right? Because we are living life without obligations. If you are doing something, whether it's working on a project around the house, or you are making yourself a sandwich, or playing with your kids, or taking a hike, or whatever it is that you're doing on a lazy Sunday afternoon, you are doing it with an intention that that keeps you in the moment, that is from a place of enjoyment, not obligation, where you are living life full out. Even if you're sitting on the couch watching Netflix, you are living life full out on a Sunday afternoon. You are doing exactly what it is that you want to do. And that alignment is the kind of laziness that leads to new results. It's being actively lazy. It's tapping into your identity and stepping into 
to the things that you want to do. And if you understand this idea of the lazy Sunday afternoon, which is talked about more in the book, but it's it's a place that you can you can arrive at on Monday morning or Thursday afternoon or whenever you would like to go there. It's a place that you can access that is always within us. And it helps us to show up differently around obligations. I mean, you may have obligations on a lazy Sunday afternoon, things that you need to do around the house, chores that you need to do. You got to go to the store, whatever the case may be. But the way that you show up around those obligations is different because you are, as I say it in the book, actively lazy. At the end of the day, we have to realize that the way you are showing up is what's creating the world around you. Right. And if we show up with an intention that says, I'm going to do this for me, I'm going to do this in a spirit of curiosity where I'm going to take this one moment at a time, not executing a 19-step plan, but doing exactly what's needed in this moment, which leads me to the next one, which leads me to the next one. That is the kind of actively lazy that makes everything easier. Yeah, and I, I suppose too, in that frame of mind, it does open up your perspective because now you're not as intense and focused on the issue, or and because it, it opens up your mind, gives you that creativity that we all need in times like that. Indeed, you said a mouthful there. I mean, I think leadership is about opening up your mind. I think leadership in part, I mean, in part, leadership is many things, multiple yeah. facets. I understand. But opening up your mind and, you know, as I like to say, the mind is like a parachute. It works best when it's open <laughs> and and inside the coaching conversation to to see things in a way that that isn't so obvious. What's obvious is that life looks like a hallway and, and there's only one way to win. There's never just one way to win. Our job as leaders, our job as human beings is to find every way to win. And from that place we we come closer to success and i say i say counterintuitive things to my clients all the time because they've been said to me and they make a difference and i say things like i need you to be lazy and i also say things like slow down right right which is which is the exact opposite of what we hear you know we need to go fast we need to go fast we'll talk to people who go fast talk to race car drivers and you know what they will tell you you have to be neutral in order to go fast you have to be in a place of neutrality, not in a place where you're like, I need this, I need this car to go faster. I need to go faster. And where we're where our minds are racing, our acceleration is not. It is when our minds are clear right. that we can truly accelerate. And and the book talks about that as well. How to find that, find that neutrality, which isn't, which isn't so much a mindset as it is actually our natural state. <laughs> you know, it seems like there's this continuum in our life that you've got hard on one end and you've got maybe easiest on the other. Yes. Yeah, sure. And somewhere in between is what you're talking about is easier. So, uh, because sometimes the, the easiest way, uh, the easiest choice is not the right way, or it's, it's a way out that well does not, not work. So you're saying somewhere in that continuum between is not the easiest option, but it's, yeah. it's easier. So how do we navigate that? continuum between hard and I just have nowhere to go to easiest, maybe I just blow it off. Right. E easiest is always do nothing, is to take no action. But living with regrets is never easier. And so to not take action, 
to say, this isn't for me. I won't do it. I won't do anything because that looks easiest. I won't have that conversation. I won't send that email. I won't respond to this text because it looks easiest. But the question you have to ask yourself is, is, is it easiest to deal with regrets and, and wishing that you had taken action? Leadership is in part taking action. And so what is the action that you need to take? And, and sometimes that action is not easiest. In fact, on the path to easier, as I've discovered myself and my coach said to me, it's not always comfortable right. on the way to easier. But leaders understand something that is so vital, and that is that discomfort and uncertainty don't have to go together. And if we get comfortable with being uncomfortable, life can get easier if we are willing to do what is needed and not manage our moods. Because if we're managing our moods, then we're going to look for easiest. We're going to cut corners. We're going to, we're going to take, we might even be uh, tempted to uh, cut corners in such a way that, that shows a lack of integrity and, and things that just, just aren't part of the leadership conversation. And those kinds of choices are never easier. That's why, that's why the book is easier. Not easy, yes, not easy. <laughs> but in that, right. I mean, and I love it. I love that continuum mm. because I think everyone is looking for a way to make life, relationships, work, leadership easier. And, th- and that comes when we see cutting corners and stepping towards easiest is often a path to regret and creating more challenges because of the action that we don't take. I really like that part where you're talking about, you know, that if you're focusing on the emotions or your emotions or your mood, I guess is probably a better term like you used, then we get derailed because now we're looking for the easy way out and being comfortable and to make our mood what we want it to be. So I think that's a great distinction. We all find ourselves at some point in a difficult work environment or facing challenges in our business or just disappointments that are a part of life. How can we break free from the routines, miseries, and frustrations? And I think what you're talking about with emotions kind of speaks to that. Mm-hmm. But these these experiences we have bring these frustrations. So how do we get out of that to make our life or our situation easier? It's a shift from, from asking the question, how am I feeling and what can I do to fix it or change it to what needs to be done? Ah. It's a leadership question. What needs to be done? And if it looks like what needs to be done is, is that you have to have a different mindset or you need to be in a better mood or you need to have uh, just a, you know, four gallons of positivity poured over your head in order to move forward, I'd take a look at that because the universe doesn't reward your moods or mine. The universe rewards our actions. And I'm not suggesting that we move coldly through our lives or deny our emotions or emotional state. I mean, our emotions are informing us and, and telling us something. But what I'm telling you is that there's an action underneath our thinking. There's an action underneath our feelings. And if we can separate those two things, in other words, if I don't need to be in a great mood in order to do great things, then I will keep moving forward. And Interesting. And, and you see, I've, I've had this experience. I've, I've, I've been at the top of the world walking into a meeting and the meeting didn't go well. I've, I've been depressed. I've, I've gotten bad news and I've walked into a conversation and the conversation went great. Huh. 
What I realized is that my results are not tied to my moods. And a lot of people are doing a lot of things to manage their moods. And believe me, from time to time, I've, <laughs> I fall into that trap as well. There's nothing wrong with that. That's part of being human. Mm-hmm. And part of being a better human is embracing our humanity and coming to an understanding that from time to time, we're going to have moods. From time to time, we're going to say, I wish I felt better. And I'll tell you what, I I had to have an experience where I felt um, at the lowest point probably in my life in order to understand this. And I I write about it in the book because um, during the pandemic, I I lost my dad. I lost my dad to COVID. And uh, it was in the early days of the pandemic. And it was one of these things. I mean, it was before mask mandates and vaccines and all those kinds of things. But he tested positive on a Monday and by Friday he was gone. Wow. Uh, and it, it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks, uh, as you can imagine. Sure. And uh, from this place of, of grief and loss, and my, I mean, he wasn't just my dad. He was my friend. We were very close. Um, from this place of grief and loss really is where, where Easier was born. Uh, that's where the book, and the book is dedicated to his memory. And uh, I came to see that as I was, I would be, I'd be sitting in a traffic light and just, just start to weep. I mean, I just, I just began to cry. I could, I couldn't help it, but I wanted to, I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta get control of this. I've got to control these emotions. I've got to pull it together. But here's the thing that I realized if I were able to pull it together, if I were able to somehow erase this grief and, and the manifestation of that grief, which is coming across in, in tears at a traffic light, if I were able to erase that grief, you know what I'd have to do? I'd have to erase what my father meant to me. I'd have to erase those memories. Right. And I, and I, and I looked at that and I went, no. There's no way. And and in fact, and instead of having this grief be something to manage, for me, it became a, a part of my humanity. And, and, and as the saying goes, grief is love persevering. And that is definitely what, what it is. And that, and that grief is still with me here today. I mean, I've, I've managed it. And I mean, it's uh, things, things are, are better for me now, as you can imagine, but what I had to do was make those feelings okay. And from that place, understand that, that if, if there's something that I'm feeling, it's not something to be managed. It's something to be accepted. Accepted. What a tough experience. I mean, that's a shock. I mean, one week and unexpected. It, it was rough. It was rough. It caught us. It caught us all off guard. And of course, these, this was the early days of the pandemic, so there was no uh, opportunity for. I mean, we had a funeral service in my living room. Yeah. Uh, you know, with with my family and that sort of thing. But uh, t- to be honest with you, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change the experience. As difficult as it was, I would not change the experience because I am who I am, because of it. Right. And and when we can embrace the past. Not, not look at the past as an error that needs to be corrected or something that needs to be undone or fixed, which of course is impossible. The past is fixed. You cannot change it. But when we, when we find a place of acceptance, we see new possibilities. And, and this was the thing. This was what I came to realize when I, when I moved from how can I get f- through this, which is the feeling of you know this grief and loss, how can I get through this? I shifted to what can I get from this? I started to look in the direction, what's good about this? You say, gosh, Chris, you lost your father. There's nothing good about that. No, it was brutal. It was difficult. It was uh, an incredible experience of loss. But there is something that's good about this. 
the book came from this. Mm-hmm. The opportunity to share my story. And maybe someone listening to these words is going through a similar situation right now. And they're finding some comfort or some healing. I don't know. But I, on, on my own path to finding that, that place of healing, I realized there, there is something good about this. And I'm not trying to put lipstick on a pig or, you know, pass out sunshine and peppermints around a very sad event. But back to what we were saying earlier, new possibilities always exist. And it's possible that I can choose to embrace my tears. It's possible that I can choose to honor my father's memory by recognizing that my my emotional state is is just love persevering. That's really what it is. Ah, that's very helpful. I know people have gone through similar loss or issues because of all that, and so that's very helpful. It's it's a good perspective. Good perspective. Appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. I like that uh, acronym you used in the book too, Yahoo Strategy. And yeah. it's you always have other options. And if we are open to other perspectives, which is a big if, then we always do have options. Yeah, but but we don't always see them. No, uh, I had I had a weird situation happen to me uh, the other day. I uh, I rejoined a gym. And I, I went to the gym and I uh, I rode my bike to the gym. I was so excited to be going back. And I locked my bike next to a tree and I go into the gym and I, I got a little thirsty while I was in the gym working out. And I said, I'm going to go out and get the water bottle that's on my bike. So I went back out to get the water bottle on my bike and I, my bike is gone. Oh. So, and, and I'm like, what? Did I not ride my bike here? I'm, I'm thinking I've lost my memory. I've lost my mind. I'm like, wait, there was a bike right here. I know. And it's my bike, and it's but it's gone. And, and so I had all this kind of craziness going through my head. Well, I finally got my wits about me. I walked back into the gym, and I said, you know, I need to talk to the manager. My bike was just stolen, blah, blah, blah. And I was, I was furious. Yeah. I was furious. And I'm like, I was so mad. And, of course, we, we watched the – Security cameras, my bike was parked under a tree, so we didn't see what happened. We just saw the guy in the corner of the parking lot driving off on my bike. Uh. So I'm just so angry and so frustrated and everything. And and here's where Yahoo comes into play. And it, it believe me, it did not come into play when I was, <laughs> I was raging and so furious. Where's my bike? But as as my thinking settled down, and I step towards this idea of you always have other options. That's what Yahoo stands for, as you said. I realized something. I could go out and get a new bike. And that's what I did. I went out and I got a new bike. And guess what I have now? A better bike than the one that I had before. Now, the way that I came to have a better bike isn't the way that I would have scripted it. It's not what I would have asked the universe to give me. I didn't ask for a stolen bike. But you always have other options. In the middle of our rage and fury and frustration, we don't see it. No, no. We don't see it. We're just we're just throwing punches at the air. And what happens if you slow down, if you zoom out, if you see that you always have other options? Isn't it possible that I could go get a new bike? Absolutely possible. Not just possible, but probable and true. So- you know, when I, when I think about this story, it's not really the story of how my bike was stolen. It's the story of how I got a new bike. And and from things that look like uncomfortable and difficult situations, there's a way 
to come out of it, to see those options, the options that make things easier. You know, I, th- I think part of it is is forming a commitment to that mindset because it's like you say, it's it's so hard in the moment to get to get to that. Um, at one point in the book, the, the coach says to the client, you have a want to issue disguised as a how to issue. And what what is it exactly we're wrestling with there with those two things? Well, it shows up a lot in coaching conversations. Clients come to me and they say, I need to know how to right. fill in the blank. I need to know how to create an elevator pitch. I need to know how to. And sometimes there are questions of, of skills or information, but 99.9% out of 100 times, it's a matter of wanting to that drives the how to. And if you really want to do something, you'll figure out the how to. Right. You say, well, wait a minute, Chris, there are things that people don't know. There, you know, there are people that maybe they don't know how to drive or they don't know how to do a particular task or they don't know how to, how to code in CSS or, you know, whatever the case may be. I get that. But creating that transformation in your life, the place where it starts is not by having the how to given to you. It's from the want to, it, it's from that desire. And when we understand that what we really need is to, walk towards what it is that we want, we will be stepping into a part of nature, a part of nature that is part of our human nature. And that is our ability to figure things out. And and that doesn't mean you have to figure things out on your own. That's not what I'm saying, but you figure out a way to access the software training, to access the leadership skills, to access the coaching, to access what it is that's missing. But the first step towards any how-to is to look at what it is that you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, you really have to work on that perspective because I don't think that comes naturally to us. The idea of, you know, what you, like you said before, changing that perspective from how do I get through this to uh, what can I get from this? And that's, that's just not our first reaction to anything. So it's, um, it's not easy. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it is not easy, but it can be easier. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Uh, you know, it, and I, I had a moment like this and I was working with my coach and I was, I was talking to her and I said, you know, I need to figure out how to market my business more effectively. There it is. How to market my business more effectively. And, and she asked me, well, what are you seeing out there? And I said, well, people are doing this and that's not a fit for me. And I don't want to do this. And, and some people try this in terms of their marketing and branding. And that's not it either. And she stopped me and she said, you're, you're playing a game of not it. Do you see that? And I said, whoa, yes, that's exactly right. And she goes, well, let me ask you this question. What would make you feel more alive? Mm. What would make you feel more alive? And and looking at that, that place to guide you towards what it is that you want to do. I mean, if you're busy sitting there saying, well, not that, not that, you're playing a game and not it like I was. I mean, I, I get trapped in this place all the time. That's why I have a coach. But to to look at what it is that you do want to do. And when I step towards the things that are exciting to me, working with clients one-on-one, working with corporations, creating destination events, bringing people to retreats and masterminds so that they can access new thought leadership, these kinds of things are exciting and enticing to me. And when I stepped into the want to, the how-to began to reveal itself. 
Huh. Interesting. I also like your definition of discipline. It was just a little different take. You wrote, it isn't based on willpower. Discipline is simply remembering what you want. Like self-motivation. It's true. One, one of the things that makes things easier is when we look at concepts that could be difficult and daunting, like discipline, right? Make your bed every day. <laughs> I love that speech. And that's good advice. But it's also like, oh, can I do it? What? Well, you can if you remember what it is that you want every day. And, and if you want to make your bed, then you will, if you remember. And sometimes just reminding people what it is that they want can be the most powerful motivation of all. Just a simple reminder of who it is that that you want to be. And, and I've experienced this myself because, um, you know, and I, I try to eat right. I try to eat, you know, and be conscious of my nutrition and stuff like that. But I, I have a bit of a sweet tooth. And uh, if, you know, one of the one of the questions that I ask when I do my group presentations, I'm doing my workshops is I, I ask people, imagine Imagine, if you will, that there, there's a box of donuts in the room with me right now. Delicious donuts, sugary donuts, and I have knowledge of donuts. I know that they're made, they're processed, and they're full of sugar, and they're not good for my girlish figure. I, I have that knowledge, and I also have the experience of eating a donut, and then like in like an hour, hour and a half, I feel awful. I got the sugar crash that comes after the sugar rush, and I don't like it. So my question is, am I going to have a donut? <laughs> and and to take it the next step, what would you as a leader say to me to help me to make the right choice, which is to not have a donut? And people give a variety of different answers. Well, I'd remind you of the sugar content. I'd remind, and I'd, I'd say, well, that's already that's already been entered into evidence. I know the sugar content. I know what sugar does to me. I even know a few things about the glycemic index and all this kind of stuff. So I have that knowledge. Knowledge is not the problem. Now what, leaders? Now what would you say? And where we end up when the discoveries really start to flow and new possibilities show up is simply reminding me what it is that I want. A simple reminder that's not scolding, that's not fault finding, but simply reminding me what it is that I want. And from there, what what changes when you remind people, not find fault, but remind people who they are, what they're capable of, and what it is that they want? Because that, my friend, is a reminder that, that I need every day. And, and sometimes when, when my friends and coaches and people that I trust offer those reminders to me, that's when things get easier. Yeah, it, it moves you forward because it keeps you in that positive mindset. And it, it's not it's not dwelling on negative or even past, right? It's dwelling on future and what I want and what I can do and possibility, and all that. That's great. That's great. Yeah, because because yeah. you don't you don't want to be scolded. I mean, I I remember one time I was doing a group coaching call and I, I had about fifty people on the call with me and I was telling telling them the story, the story that I just told you about the uh, the stolen bike, and somebody came off mic and she says, "Are you sure you locked your bike?" <sighs> And I'm like, yes, I did lock my bike. I said that, you know, and she wasn't, she wasn't trying to scold me, but that was what, that was what came across. I mean, she was just trying to be helpful, Uh but helpful is not, did you think of this? What about this? No, you didn't do that. You know, let me, let me tell you what's wrong. 
let me treat you like an error that needs to be corrected. Reminding people of, as, as you said, and you said it so well, reminding people of capability, reminding people of possibility, reminding people what it is that they want and who they are. Not trying to not trying to take you know someone's life as an engineering exercise where you're trying to eliminate the variances and and you know do a fault finding exercise. That's that's not helpful to anybody. That I mean, maybe in a command and control leadership environment that that used to work, mm-hmm. but even even in the old days, not for very long, and certainly not in a modern context. In a modern context, it's about capabilities and possibilities. And, and treating people with the kind of respect that reminds them what they're capable of. And from a place of encouragement, we see leadership. Encouragement, not, not fault finding. Right. That's how we uplift each other. That's correct. That's really good. That's really, and that's what leadership is really all about. That's how we help people see possibilities. Mm-hmm. So how can resilience and the adaptability that figures into so much of the easier idea be available to us? at any time. I mean, I, I guess part of it is just keeping our focus on what we want and, and uh, that positive outlook so that we don't close into that tunnel vision that comes so easily to us. Recognizing what already exists is really useful to me and, and approaching life like a scientist, especially when it comes to matters of resilience. And scientists will tell you that, that adaptability and resilience is built into our DNA. Uh, and I, I mean, we've shared stories of adaptability and resilience, whether it's, you know, the loss of a loved one or the loss of a, of a very nice bike. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm still standing. And so what did I have to do to access resilience? Did I have to uh, discover a six-step process? Did I have to chant uh, and meditate for 45 minutes every morning and stuff? I'm not saying those things aren't useful, but the solution for resilience is much simpler when we see that adaptability is built into our DNA. And I talk about this from a scientific perspective. And I, I, in the book, I talk about a scientist by the name of David Eagleman, who wrote a book called Live Wired. Uh, and Live Wired talks about how scientists, when they discovered the human DNA, when they discovered that the double helix, the matrix that is our DNA, they discovered that the DNA was simpler than what they expected for human beings as almost as if it was incomplete. Mm. And the reason that our DNA is incomplete is because human beings more so than any other animal on this planet, we are shaped by our environment and we are built to adapt. That design of our DNA is a design for adaptability. We are built for resilience and inside of live wire, David Eagleman talks about people who have lost limbs eyesight, hearing, and how our brains are actually built to rewire in the face of amazing losses. And and it's not something that we do through any effort. Again, it is built into the DNA. So it's not a matter of faith or belief or a six-step process or a mantra to access resilience. Resilience comes from understanding that we have the ability to bounce back, that we have the ability to have our thinking settle down when we've lost a loved one, lost a job, lost a bike, whatever the case may be, when we are at that place of frustration, because we've all been there. Right, yeah. But when our thinking settles down, we see new options and we access resilience. So if people are listening to, to this interview and they're feeling frustrated, 
Give yourself a little space. Zoom out. Take a walk. Let your thinking settle down. If you can't see other options, maybe it's time to talk to somebody. Maybe it's time to to hire a coach and just talk things through. Mm -hmm. See what other options are out there for you. See what it might feel like to have someone listen to you deeply and reflect on who you are and reflect that understanding back to you to share your capabilities, those capabilities that you can't see right now. But sometimes that that outside perspective is that reminder of resilience that we all need. And that's what my coaches have given to me. And it has been nothing short of transformational. It's It's been the ultimate encouragement because it's not, it's not an empty compliment. It's actually an informed professional opinion about how to access resilience and access new choices, those choices that that have made a difference for me in my life. And, and, you know, and it's, it's something that we all need because we all get lost in thought. We all get lost in frustration. I'm guilty of this <laughs> all the time. I mean, you know, I wrote a book called easier, but I feel like I have a doctorate in difficult <laughs> just because <laughs> of the way I've lived my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, this has been really helpful. I, I appreciate you taking the time because sure. uh, it's easy to connect with what you're saying. And we all experience this kind of thing. And uh, you've given us a, a new perspective and a new way to look at it and tackle some of these difficult situations that we run into all the time. So how, how's, what's the best way to learn more about you and get in contact with you? What's the best way to do that? People can find me on my website, and that's westfallonline.com. My last name, it's like the direction in the season, westfallonline.com. And on there, there's a connect button in the lower right-hand corner. And if you if you click on that, if you're curious to set up a time to talk, you can find a 30-minute slot on my calendar. And I'm, I'm always glad to talk with people who are interested in exploring the coaching conversation, seeing what possibilities are out there, and, and seeing what what Yahoo might might really mean <laughs> in a in a personal sort of translation. So that's the easiest way, westfallonline.com. You can also find me on all social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, everywhere, LinkedIn at Westfall Online. And uh, I also have a YouTube channel, which is also Westfall Online. And there's a number of free resources and videos there about uh, communication strategies, pitch strategies, how to talk to investors, how to uh, show up differently at work and how to access leadership skills. So that's all available as well. All right. Well, I'll put those links up there. Again, Chris, thank you very much for sharing your message with us. Thanks for having me. What a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Leadership Now podcast. Our guest today was Chris Westfall. You can find out more about Chris and his work at westfallonline.com. Join us next time for more insights on leadership and personal growth to help you lead like never before.